0: We are continuing our sermon series titled, Between This Morning. We are, in this last week of January, situated in a, spe- a space between Christmastide and Lent. We find ourselves situated between the inauguration of God's kingdom, which is Christmas, when God took on human flesh in the form of an infant child and the fulfillment of God's kingdom, when God will overcome the power of death through an empty grave on Easter. The boundary now between heaven and earth has been broken. Last week, Jesus continued the work of fulfillment by calling two sets of brothers, four fishermen, And this week, Jesus and his newly minted disciples are on the move. The scriptures tell us that they went immediately. One of the things I love most about Mark's gospel is the author's use of misdirection throughout the story and also throughout the individual stories, but also the overarching story of Mark. Our reading this morning, which Debbie read for, for us, Mark 1, 21-28. It is the first miraculous act performed by Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. I'm not going to use the word miracle and declare it as such, because our author did not. But it's a pretty dramatic exorcism. I mean, really, any exorcism should be considered dramatic, though. <coughs> Jesus, on the Sabbath... In the middle of the synagogue, with authority not like the scribes, is confronted by an evil spirit that has possessed a man. In eight verses, that's all our reading was this morning. We have a lot going on. It's actually almost too much to keep track of on a Sunday morning. We have Jesus teaching his greatest opponents, the scribes, the legal Torah experts, and they're watching nearby. Jesus is confronted by an evil spirit. He casts the spirit out, and then the good news spreads all throughout Galilee. Jesus becomes a local hero overnight. In these eight verses, there's a variety of characters and subjects that we have to keep track of. We have Jesus and his followers, the congregation that are within the synagogue, the legal experts watching from afar, the demon, and then the man who was possessed. Reading these eight verses, we can lose track of everything that's going on because there's so much happening. It can be easy to read this story and become anti-scribe or anti-synagogue. It can become easy to paint a picture of the scribes standing in the back of the room, maybe next to the coffee and the kosher synagogue snacks, while Jesus teaches with an authority that they only wish they could ever hold. And when the exorcism happens, they, the scribes, the legal experts, turn to one another and whisper, I can't believe he did that on the Sabbath. Yeah, that's great, but can he recite the laws of Moses? It's easy for us to paint the scribes as the bad guys in this story, because they did not previously help the possessed man. And we assume that, when we're reading this story, this man was possessed for more than one day, although the scriptures don't tell us that. Why do we assume that? Well, it's because people we know who are possessed. They are possessed by demons that they cannot themselves control, and we know that those possessions take more than a day to grip someone's life. If we're not quickly drawn to the scribes and the synagogue, the man who is possessed by the evil spirit is obviously our next best subject to focus on. And we think, this poor guy. We're drawn to him. It's obvious to us. It's obvious that he is sick and in need of help. He must have been the outcast of the town. He must, in his possessed state, be isolated from the synagogue. And because he's isolated from the synagogue, he's isolated from the entire community. To us, in one verse out of eight, it's obvious that this man needs help. But we know nothing else about him. We don't know where he came from. We don't know what his story is. All we know is that he happened to be in the right synagogue on the right Sabbath day when Jesus would be there teaching. It's not even the man who addresses Jesus. The possessed man throughout this entire story doesn't say one word. The only action by the man is performed by the Spirit. The possessed man Okay, so if it's not the scribes, and it's not the synagogue, and it's not the man, maybe it's the miraculous exorcism that Jesus performs. I mean, that should draw our attention, and why shouldn't we? If Jesus were to walk in this room right now, if he was to kick that door open, walk in here, bypass the snacks, and come up front, and cast a demon out of someone, I think we, like the people of the synagogue, might be drawn to that. We might even tell our friends about what happened in church this morning. Jesus' fame may go outside of Galilee and begin to spread through Arlington. Because there is so much going on in this story. And the writer of Mark's gospel condenses the amount of information Within Jesus' ministry into such small but concise bits of scripture. And then on top of that, he uses misdirection. We miss it. The people in the synagogue didn't miss it. They knew what they saw. They were astounded by seeing a spirit cast aside. But they knew what else was happening. They saw something different. Have you ever had a moment... Where you look in the refrigerator and you can't find what you're looking for, or you open up your your tool bag or your toolbox and you're looking for your red handled wire wire cutters, but they're not there. If that's ever happened to you, I know when it happens to me. I usually shout out, "Are we out of orange juice? Did someone take my red handled wire cutters?" And we then we all have that one person in our life. For me, it's three people, actually. Just open up your eyes and look for it. (laughs) Oh, that's all I had to do. Thanks. Why didn't I think of that? That's how I feel reading and listening to this story read. There is so much going on between Jesus' teaching in the synagogue and in the casting out of a spirit. There is Jesus, the scribes, the spirit, the possessed man, and the people of the synagogue. My eyes are open. I am listening. I am looking. But there is so much right in front of me that I'm having a hard time seeing what I'm looking for. Between the misdirection and then so much crammed into eight verses, I'm missing something. Our reading last week from Mark's Gospel had a similar feel. Last week, Jesus was calling his first disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. We see these stories, and we miss what the focus of the Gospel is. It's right in front of us every single week. Our eyes are open. We are looking, and yet, At least I feel like there are times when I'm missing it. I can't see it. The people were amazed by his teaching, for he was teaching them with authority, not like the legal experts. Everyone was shaken and questioned among themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He even commands unclean spirits, and they obey him. At its very core, the subject of this story, the focus is Christ's authority. Jesus taught with an authority unlike the scribes. After casting out a demon, the synagogue congregation saw this. They saw that his teachings were different. His teachings were different from anything that they had ever experienced on the Sabbath. After all, and and this is at no fault to the scribes, because the scribes were doing what they had been called to do. They were interpreting the law. The people of the synagogue had been taught the law in the synagogue. They were taught how social holiness and order was what separated Israel from the Gentiles in the surrounding nations.
1: Israel was different.
0: Israel was not like their Roman occupiers, And one of the responsibilities of the scribes was to teach this. What the scribes taught is not unlike what many of us in church lean towards. The law or works of righteousness that will make our lives more holy. And thus, in our minds, we manipulate that to think it will make us more acceptable in the sight of God. It's no wonder then. That the eyes of the people in the synagogue were opened. They saw what was standing right in front of them. Jesus' teaching and the God bearing authority that accompanied it was different from the popular teaching of 21st or first century Jewish synagogues, although it's probably a lot different than what we hear in the 21st century as well. His authority was more than credible and reliable readings of scripture. Jesus' authority went beyond the norms of first century Jewish religious leadership. His teachings were not interested in five steps to a better life. Jesus' teachings and authority were concerned with new life. Not new life today, tomorrow, or three months from now. Jesus wanted new life for you and for you and for me immediately, right now. That is why when he called his disciples and in every healing he performed, the results were immediate. Mark uses the word repeated or immediately over and over again throughout the gospel. Last week, twice. And this week, the immediacy with which the Spirit departs is obvious to us. The authority Jesus uses, though, is two-pronged. It starts with recognition, but then it goes from there. Silence and response. Imagine for a moment. Imagine the fisherman being called by Jesus last week in the moment of of being called. They're, they're by the water. They have their nets. They are with their boat. Mark's account says that both sets of brothers responded immediately by dropping their nets. There was no discussion. There was silence. There was no cost-benefit analysis done. Even more, two of the newly called disciples left their father standing in the boat with only the hired deckhands to help Dad figure out what had just happened. Again, a few verses later, we see the same response when Jesus confronts an evil spirit. Jesus silenced the demon. Silence! The silence was followed by a response. Come out of him. There was no banter between Jesus and the spirit who recognized him not by any physical appearance, but by the authority with which he taught in the synagogue. There was no negotiation, no handoff. It was silence and get out. This teaching of Jesus, teaching with authority in the synagogue, has has not changed much over 2,000 years. Silence. When Jesus speaks to us today, Our first response can be one of two things. We can stand up and jump right into action. Think, point, shoot, aim. Or we make up excuses and try to negotiate. Yes, we can ignore Jesus altogether, but in my mind, that seems more like a lack of response than a response. For us to understand what Jesus is about to command us to do We must first be silent. Because without silence, we cannot hear, and if we cannot hear Christ speaking to us, we cannot discern. After Simon and Andrew, and then James and John were called, they responded. They were silent, and then there was a reorientation that occurred. They left the life they were making for themselves and followed the new trajectory laid out by Jesus. The same occurs in our reading this morning. The evil spirit responded when confronted by Jesus. The spirit did not do so as to show mercy to the man it possessed, but rather because the Son of God, bearing the authority of God, commanded it to do so. After the interruption comes the command. I know. Evil spirits are a hard sell today. I get it. I really do. Movies like Ghostbusters make spirits goofy and comical, while movies like The Exorcist make them outright terrifying. But the bondage that an evil spirit held, the spirit that controlled the man, is something that we can all, at a base level, understand. We see bondage as injustice. And while evil spirits may be a hard sell to you, injustice is something that I know that this community rallies against. There are people in our community, neighbors, there are co-workers that we know, people that we pass on the street as we drive or walk to our office. We see people when we come out of the dry cleaners and out of Starbucks that are suffering from one form of possession or another. Addiction. Mental illness. Depression. underemployment, Unemployment. Abusive relationships. Isolation. Marginalization. I can keep going, but you all, you all know this list. We live among people who are possessed. We are possessed. And what's worse is that we hide our possessions, what possesses us, what controls us. We hide that from one another under the guise of strength and self-control. We ignore what possesses other people, or we opt for that non-response because if we are to be silent and then respond, what will we learn about ourselves? The good news of the Gospel is that not only are Jesus' teachings different from the 1st century synagogue and the 21st century norm, but His authority stretches the entirety of creation. From the time when the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, and in the synagogue on the Sabbath, When he silenced an evil spirit. All the way to 2018 where the possession of injustice seems to be on the front page of the newspaper. Or if you don't know what a newspaper is, on the front screen of your newsfeed. In all of those spaces in between. Jesus' authority calls each of us to be silent. And then respond. But the response sought by Christ is a response of grace, not one of oppression or obligation. There is no response of works righteousness in this time of between, only the response of grace and new life. It really is right there in front of us. All we have to do is open our eyes, or rather, be silent and respond. Thanks be to God. Amen.